0: What are we going to do as a church? Our souls need to wake up. We need to respond to the gospel of Jesus. He said, go into the world. We don't want to deal with reality, Christian. We don't even want to deal with reality even though we've been saved from this place. I'm calling on you today in the name of Jesus to rise up to the call of God. Christ is coming back soon. If I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? People, stop and think about it. If the hell really this, and it does. I didn't say that Jesus did. Then don't you think people need to know about it? Can't you at least give them a fighting chance? Or are you just going to sit there and let them burn? Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, opportunity to serve you and to teach on the dynamics, or some of the dynamics, of the book of Revelation. And we just ask that you um, mold our hearts and... Uh, that your Holy Spirit get us into a new or better understanding of your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're going to study Revelation um, 20, 1 through 6. And this is all about right after Christ returns Bible. And so Sorry about that. Revelation 20, 1 through 6. You can let me know when you're there. And this is uh, right after Christ returns. And, you know, there's so many dynamics to this book, but th- this right here, we, we hardly hear this get preached on a lot, but I think you'll find some, some interesting facts as we move along. So it goes And I saw an angel come down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that uh, ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony For Jesus and because of the Word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his image or had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have, uh, have um, part in the first resurrection. The second death hath no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So, the book of Revelation um, is taken out of context in, in so many ways. Uh, you know, it's, uh, the original name is uh, the Apocalypse, and today we see blockbuster movies, sci-fi and all this stuff uh, where it's a post-apocalyptic world or it's an apocalypse is coming and disaster and all this stuff but apocalypse revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ who he really is he's a true judge righteous king and of course a savior of the world so the world has a totally different they give you a totally different picture while the Bible is giving you a clear, pristine picture, it's like looking through clear water. This is who Jesus Christ is, and so we're going to go into some of the reasons or that some of the um, the basic fundamentals of 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 revelation, and it, it, it's a wide, wide. It's so many topics in here. We're we're talking about uh, the things that, that are, because Revelation is broken down in a couple parts, it's, once you read the first chapters, it's, uh, the, the things that are basically the, the church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, these were the churches at the time that Jesus came and gave a, a, a message to John to write to these churches. And out of that came these letters, right? And then it breaks down again into uh, the 24 elders and the four beasts, uh, the, the lamb who is worthy to open a book. Then you go into the seals, uh, the conquering horse, then the war horse and the famine and the death. And then you have uh, the fifth seal, which uh, the martyrs cry for vengeance. Then you have earthquakes. Um, we have the remnant uh, from Israel. Then we go into the trumpets. The scorched earth, the scorched sea, we got wormwood, which is basically uh, like a, a meteor or, or some translation that says a mountain that fell out of the sky. Then we go into darkness, and then it talks about the abyss. This is only chapter 8 and 9. Uh, the trump, uh, sorry, um, then trump trumpet army, the book, the witnesses, uh, the kingdom approaches. Then we get into the woman, Israel, the dragon, Satan the male child, Christ, the woman protected, Michael wars with the dragon, the dragon is enraged, the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, the lamb and the 144,000. Then we have proclaiming the gospel, destruction of Babylon, destruction of the beast worshipers. We get into the blessings, the reaping, uh, their commission, the malignant stones, the polluted sea, the polluted waters, the scorching sun, darkness and pain, assembling at Armageddon, judgment of Babylon, the marriage of the Lamb, the second coming, Armageddon, the Millennium kingdom, Satan's last stand, the judgment, the great white throne, new heavens and new earth, new Jerusalem, and then we get into a conclusion. So the background of this book is by the time John was uh, the last uh, apostle. While he had been spared martyrdom, he still suffered exile at the island of Patmos at the hand of the emperor Domitian. It was during the exile between 85 and 89 AD that he recorded the last component of God's revealed word, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is evident that John was uniquely set apart for the special task of recording the revelation Um, the book is also unique in several ways. It is, for example, the only book that offers a blessing to those who read it. And many people don't know you get a blessing from reading the book of Revelation. They hear and heed the words. You get a blessing to read, hear, and heed the words of the prophecy. Likewise, it pronounces a unique curse for adding to or taking away from the words of the book of Revelation. This blessing and curse underscores... The importance of taking every word at face value, and handling each one with a literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic, which is uh, interpretation. Understanding the words in this straightforward way, the reader will recognize the simplicity of the message of the final fulfillment of the promises of God. Now, some people, the the the. Literical, literal, grammatical, historical, hermeneutic is the classical approach to understanding scripture. Some people go into uh, an allegorical approach and they take things all over the place and make up what they want. Or a super spiritual approach which ends up to be the same result. And there's like uh, five other or four other, uh, other forms of interpretation like the canonical where you, you say you're the one that's going to interpret the book for everybody. Everybody else, you can't read it. I'm the one that's going to interpret it, and that's it. So you basically take authority over everyone, and you give, you spoon-feed them what you want them to hear. Right? So we don't want to do that. And Revelation, because it has so many symbol, symbology and, 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 and you know weird things in it, a lot of people like to approach it in an allegorical method. We have to take allegories where there is an allegory, but most of it is literal. Right? So when it comes to the passage overview, when you look into different translations, and here I have um, from the KJV, NIV, NASB to ESV, you need to know what type of Bible you're using. Is it a, you know, is it a paraphrase or is it word for word, thought for thought? And here in the KJV, it says, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him. In the NIV it says, he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him. In the NASB it says, and he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him. In the ESV it says, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. So you see there's slight differences there. So you'd have to go into certain words to see what the clear meaning is and that's called eisegesis. Sorry, exegesis, you're reading out of the text, and eisegesis is when you take your own thoughts with you into the text and say, okay, this is what it means for me, because this is how, what I think it's gonna, gonna, you know, what I tend to think the interpretation is. And um, that's faulty. <laughs> so, and you have, you have the, you have it where, and after that he must be loosed a little season, that's the KJV, NIV, um, set free for a short time. NASB, NASB and ESB says release for a short time or release for a little while, right? So there you see it's clear that there could be um, slight differences. Doesn't mean it's necessarily a wrong translation. It's just different words used to um, get your thoughts going there. And basically some, summary of the passage is this passage speaks of the future temporary judgment of Satan before the millennium reign of Christ. It also briefly illustrates a new governmental system on the earth while in the next breath confirming that specifically the souls of the tribulation saints who were martyred get a reward for their first I mean sorry, for their faith and reign with Christ in the millennium kingdom. I know there it says this is uh, the first resurrection. But there's another part of the Bible that says that this is the first resurrection, or this is the resurrection. What you don't hear a lot is there's a total, complete resurrection. The first resurrection is, a, is a, it's in parts. So Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. Then, later on in Thessalonians, you see the dead of Christ will rise first, and then we that are left and remaining will go up. So that's a part of the first resurrection also. Then, when you get into. Um, Uh, Revelation 20, you see that the martyrs are also resurrection, and that's the last part of the first resurrection. So anyone found in the second resurrection, they're basically doomed. Um, Then the theological impact of these verses, for those that just walked in, we're we're in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. Um, The theological impact seems (laughs) to hinge on The understanding of portions of the scripture that tends to uh, disagree—sorry, disagree—from translation to translation, it can cause a problematic predicament when it comes to eschatology. If these issues aren't cleared up with um, due diligence, it can cause other problems within the body. Uh, People fight over revelation all the time because of you know different translation, different thoughts—they're putting their own thoughts into it. Now, my previous assumptions about this passage were that when the church comes back with Christ, we the church would be the only ones ruling the go- and governing with him until the end of the millennium. What I mean by that is, I had no idea that the, the martyrs were going to get resurrected when Christ came back. I didn't look into the text enough. So, the martyrs aren't the church. The church was already gone in the rapture. They're still saints, but they're not the church. Um, I also had a different notion about the bottomless pit and the abyss. Since I'm an artist, I I visualized it. I visioned it a dark pit with Satan falling for a thousand years. I'm still not sure about it, but you know, as we go on. (laughs) Now, there's a... we have to identify and defend our literal structure when we're interpreting Scripture. So, the literary form used in the chapter of the book of Revelation is of a prophetic genre. This can uh, this thought can be supported because the author is telling of future events in these particular passages, Revelation 21 through 6, that couldn't have happened yet because Satan is still on the loose and deceived the world. Jesus Christ isn't literally on earth reigning for a thousand years from Jerusalem, at least not yet. The Antichrist, the beast, and the uh, false prophets aren't in power through uh, a a dominating global government and religious system. Furthermore, the mark of the beast as a method of uh, allegiance and global trade has yet to be implemented. So that brings us to the fact that Uh, The martyred saints in the Great Tribulation aren't being beheaded for their refusal to worship the beast and the number of his name. This future point in time is also significant because of the miracles of the resurrection regarding those very same martyrs. So they, they refuse to worship the beast, have the number of his name, and all that. And... The Antichrist is on the loose, killing everybody to find that doesn't want to worship him. And so we also have the wrath of Satan in there, but the whole tribulation period is not about the wrath of Satan. It's not about the wrath of man. It's about the wrath of God. And if you have that context straight, you'll, you'll have a better outlook on Revelation, um, uh, the seven-year tribulation all that. The author of this uh, particular book is John, one of the 12 disciples who was imprisoned on the island of Patmos at a point in time when Christians were entering into persecution from the Roman Empire for not going along with the, worshiper, the worship of, of the emperor. Let me backtrack a little bit. What I said in the, uh, a minute ago was really talking about people that say that all of these things have already happened. Basically, you call them preterists. And they say that everything in the book of Revelation already happened, so that would mean that we're already in the Millennium Kingdom. So that's why I said that the martyrs aren't being, you know, beheaded yet, because then, uh, what's going on, you know? So, and clearly, Christ is not ruling from Jerusalem yet. That's what I meant by all that. Sorry about that. So, um, the date of the letter is estimated to have been written either in 80, 80, 54, 68, um, through Nero's reign, or 80, 81, 96, through Domitian's reign, and 80... 69, 79, Vespasian's reign. The letter was an encouragement to the church to stand faithfully against emperor worship and that the war between God and Satan would come to an end soon. Furthermore, it is the apocalyptic literary literary form in its apocalyptic literary form it is full of symbolisms as well, revealing information about Jesus, the early church, and future events regarding all of humanity uh, and the nation of Israel and going on into eternity, these findings help to understand the position that the author was in, and to divine inspira- and the divine inspirational inspiration behind who what he wrote. It's also it also amplifies the historical, cultural, and future future significance that will impact the interpretation process. The additional insight widens the landscape of imagination. In a good way when the interpreter places himself in the shoes of the author, so to speak, according to the culture and historical aspect. For instance, the constant threat that the Christians were under, the state of the church and their place of worship, depending on the location and what they um, had to deal with, or how they might have compromised. Some people compromised. The thought of how vocal they might or might not have been regarding the threat of persecution and the anti-Christian culture surrounding it. All of these aspects and more would be important to emphasize to any audience so that there's nothing taken out of context. Now, you know, today we see kind of like a glimpse of what's going on there. We see churches backsliding and getting into all sorts of occult activity, and that's all based on bringing a culture into the church. So some of this is going on. Back then, uh, see the Laodicea, They were comfortable. They were rich. They were. They had all everything going for them, but they were poor. Jesus really this this was disgusted with them. And so, as we move on, now the, the, we have to identify structural keys when we deal with these passages, and. The structural keys found in the book of Revelation starts with a prologue describing who the book is from and about. In chapter 1, 1, John mentions things that must soon take place and who this message is intended for. John was told in chapter 1, to write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. So you see, we, immediately the book is broken up into three parts. Um, and then the things seen, the things that are, yeah, same thing, right? These things help to guide the reader through the outline of the message of the, uh, uh, from Jesus to John, then to anyone reading uh, the letter. So you have the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, like we mentioned before, the millennium kingdom, and new heaven and new earth in the epilogue. The way the organization is laid out helps the interpreter to avoid confusion in the light of the prophetic narrative that unfolds, particularly in the book of Revelation. The three major divisions solidify this finding. There is no mistake where the book is about to. Um, sorry, there is no mistake who the book is about and the purpose of the vision. There is no doubt about what time these things are taking place regarding the church and why. The Christ, why Christ communicated to the churches. Then finally, the unveiling of the things to come, who is in charge, Jesus, and the purpose of it all. Interpreters shouldn't overlook the structure, but recent history has shown that many have ignored the structure and interjected assertions into the prophetic narrative. And we see this all over the Internet. You, you, you will get 80 different... Uh, interpretations of of the book of Revelation. Now the historical culture references identified in these verses are the priests of God and of Christ. The cultural historical reference that goes back to the ordinance that God put in place is um, in the time of Moses before the building of the tabernacle the ancient serpent because uh, it He's, he's called the ancient serpent in, in, um, in, in um, chapter 20. The people received these letters from John who uh, more likely understood the historical context of the terms and uh, identifying the serpent and the devil, especially since a lot of the pagan communities worshipped snakes. Um, uh, they were snake-like deities and hearkened back to the devil and perhaps where some of the believers came out of. So people get saved out of these cults, so they they automatically know what John is talking about. Um, The figurative language found in the verses are found first at the beginning of the chapter relating to the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain. The key and the great chain, to be precise. Since Satan is a spiritual being, the words used must then be figurative because spiritual beings can go through walls. They can disappear, reappear, and so on. Obviously, then, uh, the angel that came down to, to get Satan is also in with power from Jesus. The phrase serpent and dragon are also symbolic. The particular thing is Satan in Genesis is like, is called the Nakash in Hebrew, maybe hinting to his angelic form, possibly a serpentine form, like a seraphim. If you don't know what seraphim is, that those are the angels that surround God's throne saying, holy, 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 holy is the God Almighty. Right, that's just a thought. You have to dig into that, you know, more. The first three verses are are structured in a way that alludes to more, because if Satan must be bound and then released, there must be a great purpose for this, for his release, uh, that will ultimately lead to a grand finale. The finale is all brought to light from when John is being um, shown, from point to point in the rest of the verses, going into the thrones and who will reign with Christ and for how long after Satan is bound. The emphasis of a thousand literal years is significant throughout and, and form, forms a certain chiasm to flow, basically the way that everything flows. Within the grand subject of the, uh, the thousand-year reign is the idea of the first resurrection. These thoughts begin with the second uh, thing that John saw, thrones which led into the souls of the, of the ones beheaded and the cause thereof. It is explicit that the second resurrection is where no one should want to be because there is no blessed and holy in the second resurrection. Now, the importance of the grammatical keys in the interpretation of the passages, the, meta- the metaphorical keys are important because they help to figure out the further context behind the thought of the author and overall message that's being conveyed. The training on how to observe these elements make it clear a clear distinction between a cursory reading of the Bible and how to understand the structure of the narrative, which then brings to light what many people might overlook by, uh, but the interpreter shouldn't. I mean, we've, we've gone through many verses. We just, might like, fly through a, a book or a chapter or whatever, and when we, co- when we come back maybe a year later, we're like, oh, I didn't see that, you know, or oh, I didn't understand this word. Or, you know, we, we have to pay attention to the words all the time and go back into whatever, um, you know, lexicon or, or whatever to really see what's going on there. Now, some of the key words um, found will help the interpretation of the passage, serpent, dragon, the devil, He, bottomless pit, chain, um, shut, sealed, thousand years, authority, judge, resurrection. A lot of these words people take out of context all the time. Oh, it's not really a literal thousand years. It's maybe a day or something like that, you know? Um, And when you go into the full word studies, you get get more meat. Um, Like, say, thousand, uh, it's from when you go into the Greek, it's literally a thousand years. Yeah, you know? um, And the summary key concepts, uh, the key uh, concepts are a literal thousand years regarding the rule of Christ when he returns. And Satan is bound, plus those that are faithful and truly belong to him will reign with him during this period. Right. So the theme of the book, we went over that a little bit. So the overall theme of the book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. I started off with that as a a righteous, eternal savior, king and judge of the world. Not what the world is giving you about the revelation or the apocalypse. It's an overview of things seen, the things that are present, and the time John wrote the book, at the time John wrote the book, and the future things soon to come, a time unlike the world has ever seen. It personifies God's sovereignty, his wrath, poured out on humanity. Israel's eyes are open to the true Messiah, after the Antichrist basically reveals itself as to be God, you know, and for them to worship him. The follow, the return, it also identified that the return of Christ, the followers who come to Christ in the Great Tribulation that are faithful, the final judgment, and ultimately the eternal hope that all believers have been waiting for to be fulfilled. The immediate context in surrounding the passages in Revelation 20, 1 through 6, is Satan being bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. The first two verses convey the idea about the restraint of Satan. Then though, through the preceding passages, the purpose of his imprisonment The outcome of the absence of his influence on the earth for the allotted time, a thousand years, is furthermore explained. You're going to hear a thousand years a lot while I'm talking here. So no one could ever, you know, say this is not a thousand years. It's like so clear. Um, The passage contributes immensely to the overall theme that it shows a window of hope that Jesus brings with Satan's influence eradicated by one angel, just one, On the authority of Jesus, the deceiver who has caused an enormous amount of death and misery throughout the ages is shown to be powerless. I don't even like saying the devil made me do it or any of that stuff. We give him too much credit. You know? This act personifies God's sovereignty and how his global government and rulership from Israel begins with... uh, sorry, it signifies again the power and majesty of the one who promised to return and bring true peace to the planet. These verses also give credence to the idea that Satan will be ruling, sorry, Satan will, no, sorry, saints <laughs> will be ruling with Christ, uh, the Savior, in his kingdom. Without these passages unveiled by Jesus, believers wouldn't be privy to the inside information that leads to an even greater period in the timeline of our destiny as humans. The final judgment of Satan, mankind, and the beginning of eternity all surround these verses in chapter 20, one, um, w- one way or another, and therefore complements the overall theme. So Satan right now is setting up a one-world government system, global economic system, one-world religion, and all that stuff, right? But yet... Christ has his own one-world system that's coming that will be perfect, a theocracy that can't be destroyed. So everything that uh, Satan is doing will be basically fruitless, empty. Um, everyone following him will be thrown to hell because it took the mark. Uh, there's no way out of that. Um, and some people out there they they're like, oh. I don't want to talk about politics, or I don't want to deal with politics. Listen, there's politics in the Bible through and through. There's kings and thrones and all this stuff, but they don't want to talk about politics. They don't want to be involved. I think that, you know, I mean, from from the beginning of this country, Christians were involved in politics. It's just, that's the way it was. And then when we took ourselves out of it, that's when things started to go downhill, part of the reason anyway. So anyway, the theological principles found in Revelation 20 1 through 6 are that God is in control. He's always in control. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter what's going on in your life, my life, He's in control. And some of these things that we go through help us to um, become stronger in Him. Um, Jesus Christ has the ultimate authority in the universe as God. Satan's power is minuscule, and he isn't a loose cannon. The author intended to give hope to those people at the time about the coming Messiah and the king, the kind of kingdom that would be ushered near the end of days. God's doxological purpose and sovereignty is seen within these passages. Basically, he brings glory to himself um, through everything that goes on in this world. Everything good, <laughs> right? And he could use bad things to 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 um, bring about good. You know outcomes. So the principles connected, uh, the principles connect to the whole book in that revelation is about Jesus and his soon return. In the prophetical sense, this is a part of the climax, a transition into a new kingdom, a theocracy with perfect leadership and governance that will no doubt be unlike any government before. Everything antithetical to this future government will be thwarted with righteousness, the, over, the overthrowing of Satan's temporary kingdom, the discon, deconstruction of everything right, unrighteous that led up to this era. True global peace from a righteous judge, Israel's king. I, Israel taking its rightful place with their eyes entirely upon the truth regarding Jesus Christ. Um, you know, there's a lot of anti-Semitism out there today, and... Um, but, but they don't get it. They don't understand the prophetical nature of everything that's going on. The theological theme of prophecy is entangled in these verses. That um, prophecy, uh, sorry, <laughs> oh okay, the demise of Satan in the, conti- in the coming future. So though some things, some think that Satan is already bound, it doesn't make sense since his obvious influence is still in this world in a plethora of areas that can be witnessed. So again, people that think that all this stuff already happened, Satan is already bound, it doesn't make any sense at all. The theme of a future government comes alive through the way that John briefly describes the many thrones and also people who are righteous that are raised from the dead to reign with Christ. The martyrs are going to be antithetical to everything that the Antichrist is going to stand for and the allegiance that he wants them to hand over. And this award that awaits the saints of the time to come possibly gave uh, the people that read the letters in biblical times the complete sorry, in biblical times to compliment uh, basically everything they were going through because the persecution was really terrible. I mean, Christians getting burnt and beheaded and fed the lions and all that stuff, so the letter encouraged them, and uh, you know, everything that God was promising was, wasn't in vain. The theme of, of righteousness is also here, and we can see, as we can see, only the righteous are resurrected that took part in the first resurrection. The unrighteous are appointed to the second resurrection for judgment into the second death, and this at this point it should be a prophetic indicator of what's to come. So, there, there, When you go and look into some of the commentaries, you have to know what the idea the interpreter is actually trying to say. And like I explained before, we have allegorical interpretations and literal. Literal is where we stand. Um, and you have spiritual and other ones, right? So uh, I looked up into this uh, commentary by a guy named Charles Box, and he seems to use an allegory form of hermeneutics. I, 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 I identify this form through the statements such as, The Christians that had been killed for the cause of Christ were still living and reigning with the Lord. They are called priests of God in Christ, and they reigned with him a thousand years. This thousand-year reign... With Christ is in heaven, not on the earth. (laughs) Also, after this time, he is given a period of freedom. Satan is still active during this entire period. Only a part of his power is is limited. (laughs) He is unable to deceive the nations. The devil devil had deceived the nations with uh, emperor worship. God limited that power of deception for a period of time. So you see how that could take somebody's mind and just twist it without... I mean, it's pretty clear, though, when you read it. It's pretty clear. So be careful on uh, some of the commentaries and stuff. And uh, so based on what passage uh, 20 through 1 through 6 is saying from the literal and figurative sense and what I've read from commentaries after Christ returns, it's evident that Satan can't be allowed to continue with what he's done for thousands of years. While Christ begins His rulership on earth, it would be counterintuitive and also go against many passages that infer the peace that Christ brings with His second coming and His kingdom. It is also apparent that the angel of uh, the angel binds Satan. The angel that binds Satan isn't just isn't Jesus or Michael, as some would suggest, because the Scripture doesn't allude to those persons and doesn't designate a name in the messen- to the messenger. As for the thrones, it only makes sense that we are ruling on earth with Jesus since we come back with him at the end of the Great Tribulation. Uh, Not in a heavenly realm, as Mr. Bach suggests. Furthermore, the first resurrection is something not to overlook because it implies a lot of things, such as the multitude of people that take part in the first resurrection. Another important aspect of these passages is that Satan is released at the end of the millennium to tempt for the last time. This further applies, uh, implies sorry, that many children will be born and not all have come to Christ in the Millennium Kingdom. It goes to show that in the final rebellion, it proves that we can't do anything without Jesus. From beginning to end, the Bible proves that, like from the Garden of Eden, all throughout the Bible. The Israelites, they turned against God many times. There were probably only nine good kings in all of those scriptures uh, from their time. And so every time they turn against God, something bad happens. They get judged. They get exiled and all this stuff. And uh, sometimes we do it in our own lives, depending on what the situation is, um, whether it's sexual immorality or something else, dealing with entertainment or whatever. We turn to this, these idols and... um Compromise. So without having our full focus on Jesus, and plus we don't have our new bodies either, so that makes it tougher, right? So the passage of of Revelation 21 through 6 is the transition period after the return of Christ and the cleanup program that started in chapter 19. If you don't know, chapter 19. Christ comes, crushes the devil really quickly. The blood is high, and all this stuff is going on. So there has to be a cleanup program, right? And we we see nations get separated. People get chucked into hell. Others get welcomed into the Millennium Kingdom. um, And it's only conceivable that everyone that gets pulled into the Millennium Kingdom that are still alive are Christians because all the sinners have been... Right, And so these people have babies and babies and all this stuff for thousands of years. Oh, 1,000 years, sorry. And um, that's how we replenish the earth. So here in um, the verses 1 through 3, we see Satan as the last to be subjugated to the righteous judgment of God by the assigned angel. His plans shattered, his pride brought low rendered powerless. The serpent, the same symbol of unrighteousness used by so many cults, sects, uh, false religions, the dragon is put to shame. The final decree before Jesus ushers in the Millennium Kingdom, a temporary prison for Satan, reaches his, before Satan reaches his final destination. An eternal, an interim before Jesus reveals the hearts of the unconverted, even though they are under his rulership, And enjoying the bliss of true peace. Verse 4 alludes to the thrones of judges that have been given authority by God. These thrones are likely to be given to some of the saints that come back with Jesus at his second coming. We only get a glimpse in this verse that quickly transitions into the vision of the souls that died because of their faithfulness. Since this is a future event, it prompts the reader to wonder what these tribulation saints might have endured before their death, what they witnessed after the rapture of the church before coming to Christ for salvation. It also gives a refreshing view of the rewards of their ultimate sacrifice and loyalty, a loyalty that is going to be a magnet to the wrath of man to destroy their bodies. They will testify of Jesus and his word. They will reject the false god and everything required of them that, may, that many in that time will unfortunately give their entire being over to to save their possessions of this world, you know? To die a horrifying death and then resurrected when Christ returns will be an experience that brings these martyrs into a situation that they probably didn't expect unless they realized um, where their place was in the, in the apocalyptic writings of John to reign with Christ. No one, Not only to reign with Christ, but for a thousand years. That's amazing, right? And, and so these saints, they went to heaven. They saw God. They talked to him like, what's going on? What's taking so long? Why aren't you stopping this? And, you know, next second, they're resurrected on earth, you know? Kind of cool. So, verses 5 and 6 clarify that the best position to be in is in the first resurrection. This subject gives an allusion to the circumstances of people in the church age, the tribulation period, and even the Old Testament saints based only on these short verses. It is a grievous feeling to acknowledge that so many people will be in the second resurrection and consumed by the second death. I imagine them in front of God and them not witnessing the period of Christ's reign on earth that they missed because they rejected him, or the fact that their names weren't written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the earth. To be blessed and holy are their attributes to those in the first resurrection. Holiness is what we all strive for today, and we'll finally be there in the Millennium Kingdom as priests of the Most High. The primary, primary application of these verses is the hope we have today will be completed to a certain degree. Eternity comes after the thousand-year reign of Christ and the great white throne judgment. But in these short verses we see the enemy defeated, we see thrones of righteousness, the resurrection of the dead that are on the side of Jesus, the rewards of their faithfulness, For the early church, though, their cultural environment included the pressure from emperor worship that was looming on every corner of society through Roman rule. This letter from John must have had a significant impact on their life, on their faith, since it was inspired by the one that they put their trust in, Jesus. The existential problems that they were facing might have seemed smaller, knowing that no matter what, Jesus is still the winner, and that time is coming when Satan's influence won't be felt. We have no idea what that's like, you know? All the world governments will be under righteous rule. total peace and abundance of life. The Messiah has coming in. A secondary application for these passages uh, um, for this present age. The modern society that has been programmed in many ways not to acknowledge what the entirety of humanity has, that, that we have an enemy, Satan, a deceiver, influencing the world through clever tactics, an entity that is presumptuous in his fruitless actions. As the persecution of Christians continue to rise in the world, we can look to these same scriptures and verses to find hope and also warn a world that is plummeting toward a space in time that not even Hollywood can can bring to life. With all the cin- cinematic achievements, as modern churches become more apostate and apathetic, prophetic signs scream at us in the wor- world news, and we know what the, the blessed hope that the blessed hope is around the corner. These signs should prompt us to preach the gospel to whoever will listen. So. That they won't be caught in the middle of God's wrath being poured out on this unbelieving world. I mean, people have time right now. They still have time. And God has given them time, right? As we see, I, mean, I got a thousand things in my head I could talk about, you know, <laughs> regarding all this dark stuff. But still, God has mercy as we see all these things coming about. And uh, some people don't think that this time is critical. Oh, your father said this. Oh, your mother said that. Da, 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 da. And the Bible talks about um, scoffers. And um, you, I just feel bad for people that reject Christ today. And the, 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 the age that we're living and moving into all this tech and violence and debauchery. The kids are getting fed everything filthy. Um, and, you know, parents need to... Uh, Protect your children, man. <laughs> it's getting just wild. But still, good things are happening. You know, abortion is getting kind of dethroned a little bit. Um, and, and all sorts of other good things are going on. But at the same time, we're still headed towards God's plan, final plan for this world. So, in that, I think we're finished. Revelation twenty, one through 6. If you have time, I, I suggest really going through that and studying it, because it, I think it will edify you. In fact, study the whole book, you know? So with that, let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us through this uh, presentation of your Word. I ask that you um, continually work with us, work in us to study your Word and to just be a light to those out there. And uh, to preach your, your gospel, your good news about you, what you did on the cross for us, Lord God. We're so grateful that you not only saved us from hell, but you, you gave us a relationship back with you, Lord God. So we just thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing and all that you will do. And you're- if you like our videos, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell to get all our frequent updates.